You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. to our sermon text, our Bible reading from Luke's Gospel, starting at chapter 9, verse 56. And this is in this middle section of Luke. Uh, 9.51 tells us that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. And then we have this long travel narrative as Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem and many lessons for discipleship along the way and much teaching for us. And so we come to this uh, this section which speaks of the, the cost of following the Lord Jesus and speaks of the great uh, authority of our Lord. So verse 57, as they, that is Jesus and his disciples, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Well, let me pray. Heavenly Father, pray that you would open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in your law. Amen. Well, Jesus had already called his disciples and said to them, take up your cross and follow me. He'd spoken of the the cost of discipleship, the difficulty of following Christ. And now on the road to Jerusalem, he has encounters with Uh, Three different people, and uh, three people who are uh, potential disciples. And so many lessons for us here as disciples of Christ, or those who would follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're simply going to look at these three three little paragraphs we have here. The first man is enthusiastic. He is keen. He comes up to Jesus as they're going along the road. And says to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Perhaps he's seen some of those mighty acts of power. Perhaps he's heard talk of a kingdom. Perhaps he's sort of seen Jesus raise the dead and just is caught up in all the excitement. And thinks, well, this looks like something great to be a part of. I will follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. And perhaps he's missed some of the other lessons that Jesus 
has been teaching of some of the, the difficulties of discipleship. So Jesus doesn't turn him away, but he does say, in a sense, well, hold on. Are you sure you know what you're getting into? That's what he's saying, isn't it? And he speaks of the fact that following Jesus will not lead to uh, security and power in this life. That's what he's saying to him. So he says, um, um, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In some ways it's just a, a lovely homely image, doesn't it? He's thinking of the animals um, that have their holes and their dens and their hiding places, the badgers in their sets and all the sort of things. Each animal has its little place, its little nest, a little home. Uh, but there's this, this great contrast. The, the son of man will have nowhere to lay his head. And the, the son of man is that title that Jesus loves to use to speak of himself. And it's something of an ambiguous title, which is why he uses it. So Jesus doesn't refer to himself in these first chapters of, of or in the gospel as the Christ, the Messiah, because those terms were so loaded and the riot would have started and a great movement that he, he wouldn't have wanted. He refers to himself as the Son of Man, which is a, a veiled title. It, it means, uh, well, Son of Adam. It means human. It means man. And so he's referring to himself as uh, as. Uh, as, as, as a man, uh, but also as we go on through the gospel, we see that this, this term alludes to the, the phrase in, um, in Daniel 7 where he speaks of the Son of Man coming uh, in the clouds and it speaks of uh, man glorified, of, of not sort of just Adam, but Adam restored to his high, the place of high honour and high office. So this Son of Man, it speaks to humanity, uh, in its um, humility, but also in its exaltation. So it's a veiled term here. But, so there's a, there's a contrast. The animals have got a place to lay their head, but the Son of Man um, doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. We think of the greatness of Jesus, his great power, and uh, yet he has nowhere to uh, hang his hat and nowhere. He does not have earthly security. Um, we think of, I think of Adam in his, his exile and wanderings. That is what we find of the Lord Jesus. He is he's wandering about. And the reference to foxes having holes, it may be a, that may be a veiled and oblique reference to, um, to Herod. He speaks later on as Herod, as that fox. Um, and it may be that, that what he's referring to here is the hostile powers that surround him. So Israel at that time dominated by hostile powers, by the powers of darkness and by thrones and dominions and, and Herod who had his place. So you think of the Lord Jesus uh, going around. At this point, John the Baptist is, is already um, in prison. And here is, is Jesus, the son of man. Foxes have holes. He might be referring there to to Herod or these, these powers and people who have security. And in contrast, Jesus did not have 
earthly security. He didn't have anywhere to stay. He would go and preach. He was dependent upon the hospitality of other people. He had to, to sleep, and sometimes he'd be sleeping rough. And just think of just the insecurity. I wonder if you've ever had that, where you've not known where you were going to sleep in the evening. And, and that's, in a way, it's all right if you're in your 20s, and you're doing some crazy interrail trip, or you don't worry about it too much. But, but, um, but sometimes you can feel that great insecurity of, of not having a place and a, a hole and a nest to go back to. Um, and so, but what, what is Jesus saying to this man? He's saying, well, the son of man won't, won't have anywhere to lay his head. And he's saying, if you follow me, you won't either. Okay, so he's saying about discipleship. He's not just talking about himself. He's talking about the path of the of discipleship, what it will be like to follow Jesus. And as you read um, Luke's Gospel, if you, you sort of go back and read it from the beginning, there's real, there's real darkness. We've sort of had Herod introduced. We've had Jesus' rejection at, at, at Nazareth. And we have Israel in its unbelief. Israel is sort of pictured, it's a bit like, it's a bit like, it's a bit like Egypt. Um, Israel is a dark place, and so Jesus called people to follow him, but he himself was, was going to be rejected, and those that followed him were going to suffer um, that rejection. So it, even in Israel, all the powers and authorities within Israel, the, 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 the leading authorities, they rejected Jesus. So to join with Jesus at that time was to face Rejection, and that we see that through um, through the Gospels, as um, as things developed. So to, to to actually follow Jesus, people would be put out of the synagogue. Eventually, they'd lose their their whole community and their livelihood. They would lose their homes. They would have nowhere to lay their heads. You, you see that, and you certainly see in, in the Book of Acts these great. Great persecution, and with the, in the men's meetup, we were looking at some of the the, the, the early church and the care for widows. And, and part of the thing with the care for widows is that these are widows who become Christians and may well have been put out of their communities. They may have lost the whole support structure from their community. So they, so so Jesus is is, is, is this. Um, he's giving them this man this. Um, phrase that the Son of Man's got nobody to lay his head, but that is the path of discipleship, and that's what it was in the first century. And then, as the gospel went forward through the Roman Empire, um, there were times of prosperity and stability for the church, but then there were times of of persecution. Um, when the church came to a situation, initially it was considered part of Judaism, so it was under the protection of the the Roman state, but then as it became to be considered distinctly from Judaism, um, it came under persecution from the Roman state. And that's why many Christians were tempted to go back to Judaism, because that gives them a, a level of security, and they get to hold on to their property and their stuff. Um, you think of the book of Hebrews. But, but so, so there is this, this warning, though, that Jesus gives to disciples, that to follow, follow him will lead to, to great insecurity. Um, and that is the, the call of Christ throughout, throughout the world. Think of our brothers and sisters through the, through the world. To actually follow Jesus is going to mean being put out of the community in many contexts. It's going to mean great loss, 
great difficulty. So it's a, it's a sobering thing and something for us just to, to reflect on in, in the modern West. Times change, don't they? Seasons come and go. There's times of peace and stability and then there's times of, of difficulty. And we at least need to reckon with these texts and perhaps sort of blow off the, um, the dust from this part of our Bible and consider again uh, the cost of following the Lord Jesus and just to reckon with these things, even in a, well, a, a once Christian country and our, our Christian country, which is rapidly changing. Well, that's our first little chunk. Um, and then the second one, he says, follow me. Um, so the, the first one, I come up to him. The, the second one, he calls, a bit like he called to Levi. Remember, he called at the tax booth, follow me. And he did. He jumps up and follows him. Um, well, this one um, and the next one, he calls them to follow, uh, follow me. And do you notice what they both say? Uh, first, let me do something else. There's something else they need to do first as a matter of uh, a more important priority. And Jesus will have none of it. He is the Lord. And there's a, something, sort of an irony in, in how they address him. Did you notice that? Uh, they say, Lord, um, let me first attend to this other thing which is actually of a higher priority. Um, so, Lord, you know, confessing Jesus is Lord. That, that confession is, well, that is the, the Christian confession, that Jesus is the place of all, all authority. So he says that to another, he says, follow me. And he said, first let me go and uh, bury my father. And Jesus said to him, um, leave the dead to bury their own dead. As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom. Well, some have uh, speculated on this that uh, his father might not actually be yet dead, but he's actually, what he's saying, he wants to procrastinate and go look after his father for an indefinite period. Um, I think actually probably more like what's going on, he's talking about the absolute clash of priorities. The burial of a parent, of a father, was sacrosanct in that culture. It wasn't explicitly commanded in the law, but it's seen as part of the command, honour your father uh, and your mother. And so this would just be something that would be assumed behaviour. Culturally speaking, you had to be there. Um, to fail to bury a father would be utterly unthinkable. And so Jesus' words, as he says, leave the dead to bury their own dead, you can almost just hear the sort of sharp intake of breath around the room. This is something utterly shocking. Jesus is, he's not just, he's not just putting his foot in it by mistake. He's sort of just kicking through the windows of this kind of, this cultural barrier. He's saying, no, he's, he's claiming the right to actually be of first priority, even over something which is utterly, utterly sacrosanct in that culture. Um, and this phrase, leave the dead to bury their own dead, it's often taken as leave the dead, i.e. the spiritually dead, unbelievers, to take care of, of burying the dead, you come and um, proclaim the kingdom. And I'd, I'd always assumed that that was, that was the way to read it, but it may be that he's actually referring to Jewish burial practices, um, 
And so um, you might know that they, they sort of put, put the, the corpse on a, on a stone shelf and then um, after a year, a year and a half after the decomposition, would, would collect up the, the bones and put them in a, a different part of the tomb so the, the shelf is then ready for the next person. So you have these sort of family tombs with lots of people there. So we, in saying let the dead bury the dead, he may be saying, look, just let the dead, i.e. the, the family, <laughs> the dead bones, let, let, let the dead um, bury the dead. Um, uh, and you, but as for you, proclaim the kingdom of God. And I think there's Exodus tones there. There's the realm of the dead and then the realm of life as well, isn't there? There's death to life. And he's calling the man to proclaim the word of life, the word of Jesus, the one who has just raised the dead, the one who has power over death, this, this great gospel which comes with such uh, urgency and such priority. Um, now, it's an extraordinary saying, isn't it? It's a shocking saying that Jesus says here. But it's clear, as we read the rest of um, the life of Jesus, it is not that he wants us to disobey the command to honour our mothers and, and, and fathers. So actually, if you think of Mark chapter 7, Jesus criticises the religious leaders um, for using religion as a means of getting out of their responsibilities to look after their parents. So they, they're there using this religious thing about devoting their money to the temple, but really as a way of not financially supporting their parents. And Jesus says to them, you've got a fine way of setting aside the word of God, following um, the word of God to keep your own traditions. And so um, we shouldn't use this text, or this text shouldn't be used to think, Oh great! Well, I don't have to look after my uh, my parents at all. You know, you know that that's fine. Um, as I, I said to my father, I visited this week. Oh look, Dad, I don't I don't have to worry about your funeral. I'll leave that to someone else. Um, it's, it's not not really saying that. What he's talking about is just here is an absolute priority. If there's a clash of priorities, it's Jesus Christ who must be followed. Jesus who must be obeyed, whatever the sort of the sharp intakes of breath that might go on around the sort of the family meals at Christmas or whatever with the extended families as we get into these sort of awkward discussions sometimes. Actually, we must obey the Lord Jesus, for he is the Lord. It's that, that sort of thing. It's about the absolute priority of following uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um. And if, if, if that's true for the most sacrosanct of sort of things, how much more true is that of um, lesser priorities? You know, the sort of um, sports on a Sunday. You know, I, I can't follow Jesus because I've got a, uh, a rugby match or because I want to go shopping or because my friends... You know, all the lesser excuses we make. It, it, you can sort of make an argument from the greater to the lesser. If Jesus claims the right to be Lord uh, over and against over and against the, the, those uh, most sacrosanct of things, how much more over the various things that we that compete for our loyalties and for our loves. And then verse 61, another comes up. <clears throat> another, yet another. I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. That doesn't seem like a big ask, does it? 
But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The implications, Jesus says, well, look, no, come follow me. Don't go home. Come follow me now, immediately. Just come and follow me. <clears throat> and so um, the, there's an echo here of the um, story of uh, Elijah and Elisha. There's this call for radical obedience and a break with the past. But um, the point really is that the, the call to be the, a follower of Jesus is an even more radical call than the call of uh, Elisha when he was called by Elijah. And we'll come on to that. Um, so in Luke's Gospel, the Elijah-Elisha paradigm and, and comparison works in a number of ways. So we have John the Baptist, who is like Elijah with the diet of locusts and the, the leather belt, and you know, he looked like Elijah. And then we have Jesus uh, like Elisha, the wonder-working miracle worker who comes after him, who's, who's filled with the, the spirit and who, who raises the dead and feeds people with the loaves. And, and all these, there's this, this, if you read through um, two kings, you'll see these contrasts. But there's also, sort of comparison, there's also um, and the Elijah-Elisha paradigm works with Jesus as Elijah and his followers as Elisha. So it works out in that way too. And that, that I, I think there's something going on with um, you know, Elijah went to heaven, was ascended to heaven in the, in the whirlwind, and then the spirit came on Elisha. And you think of, well, Jesus ascending to heaven, the spirit coming on uh, his followers. Um, and so um, that works out too. So what Jesus is, here we have Jesus as Elijah and this man, this potential follower as Elisha. And if you go back to, don't turn to, I'll, I'll read the bit, 1 Kings 19, this is the call of Elisha by Elijah. We read that Elijah found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th, so he had a pair of oxen, two oxen and the yoke. Um, and Elijah passed by him, and Elisha said, let me kiss my father and mother, then I will follow you. And you see the echo with this passage. And Elijah said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elijah sort of lets him go back and say goodbye to his, his, his parents. And then he, that is Elisha, returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. So here we have Elisha um, having this great uh, feast, burning the yokes, and that's a, a, a sign really of this decisive break with his old way of life and his old work as he's now going to follow after Elijah as his apprentice, as his disciple. So Jesus is really, he's echoing some of that and is saying to this man, like, if you want to follow me, you need greater devotion than Elisha had to Elijah. Um, and he said, um, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back, is fit for the kingdom of God. So the picture here is someone who's taking up, taken up a task of plowing a field um, with his oxen. And you've got a, I've never done that, you've got to plough a 
a straight furrow and sort of look where the oxen are going. And then um, you, you get distracted by something that's behind you and you end up plowing great circles in the field like this. And that, that's, that's not the way to do it. And so that, that's the picture. He's saying, actually, if you've set your mind to life in the kingdom of God, you need to look where you're going and uh, go in that direction and not get distracted by lots of competing loyalties or other things which are competing for your attention. You need this single-minded, forward-looking devotion to the things of the kingdom. And that is what he's, he's calling this man to, uh, to seek uh, after the kingdom. And so it's this matter of uh, priorities, again, this absolute priority that he will have need in following the things of the kingdom and in following Christ. And so, um, and Paul, Paul speaks in these sorts of terms of serving Christ, in terms of straining towards a goal. So Philippians 3.12, Paul says, um, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. In other words, this isn't just something for uh, apostles or preachers or ministers. This is for, uh, for Christians. Um, that those of us who mature think this way. And if anything else you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you. So do you see that? He is straining ahead. He, he is wanting to put his hand to the plow and keep going. Um, it's this one thing I do, not this several things I have a stab at. So there we have, we have the, the, the call of Christ to follow him, to seek after him, whatever the cost, as the greatest priority of our lives. Uh, and all our competing loyalties and loves have to be reordered under the call of Christ. Um, and, and then, so we see the, the, the call of Christ, but, but really we... It makes us, I think, just reflect on the identity of, of Jesus. Like, who is Jesus who can make such a demand? Who is Christ who can command such a thing? It's only if he is the Lord, it's only if he is the Lord God, can he make such a demand? Can he make such a call, such an absolute call? And this reminded me of the... the quite famous C.S. Lewis quote in, um, in Mere Christianity, where he, he speaks of, you know, when, when we're thinking of who is Jesus, well, well what are the options? And, and Lewis speaks of just, well, let me read the quote. Um, I'm trying to here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who said he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must take your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet 
and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So we need to consider, as we consider this passage and the cost of following him, we need to follow him. We need to, we need to consider Jesus, um, our Lord Jesus, his, his person and his work. He is the, the son of man who came to seek and save the lost. He is the one who came to die upon the cross to bear our heavy load. He is the one who, who loves us and lay down his life for us. He is the one who stands in heaven and who intercedes for us. And he is the one whose call goes out from heaven. He calls you, follow me. Follow me, he says. And what will you reply? Well, let us pray. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres.co.uk.